0: communication is the key to a good friendship unless you have telepathy which we do we used to but now we're ex-friends and it's yeah it's it's very complicated when you're friends and then you just become ex-friends but you still have a podcast together yeah (laughs) that's what i was just gonna say (laughs) you still have to have a public relationship for everyone else so just so you guys know we hate each other still but we're doing this for you... you yeah it's for you so feel grateful I was going
1: to say feel guilty.
0: (laughs) We are, like, and it's not even predictable. It's not even predictable Mm -mm. what the other person is going to say. We almost always say the opposite. (laughs) Like, I think I would usually be the one to say guilty and you would be the one to say. (laughs) I think it's because in the same moment, we're trying to be sarcastic. And so we say the opposite of what we're thinking. (laughs) (laughs) We have a treat for you today, everyone. The person? Or what? Yeah. <laughs> no, I have a present for everyone. I'm mailing it out to our 20 listeners. I'm going to, even would be the day so that we start cool. getting a bunch of listeners, I'm still going to just say we have 20. Yeah. <laughs> If we're like number one on the podcast <laughs> like charts, knock on our 20 listeners, win, our, 20 listener. our original 20. I could just talk shit on people all day long and just not have Pretend to worry like about no one's listening. Yeah, no one, one is listening. We have zero <laughs> audience, so. We'll just never know our stats. Oh, God. I just never Google myself after that. <laughs> <laughs> listeners of Middlebrow hate the fuck out of all of Moya. She's the worst. Nothing she says is nice to anyone. <laughs> She's also not true never ever truthful
1: my biggest fear no okay <laughs> <It's true. laughs> calm down what so, she gets that from me yeah people don't know me like i'm a really nice person i no one should say that about themselves are you nice <laughs> everyone already, already <laughs> hates me now but i'm such a people no
0: she is a very nice person I'm, i will agree
1: yeah. <laughs> i'm such a people pleaser and Mm
0: -hmm. not with me though and i think that's
1: why i'm so sarcastic and my sarcasm mixing with people pleasing creates this intense conflict (laughs) in me because they don't go together so when i am sarcastic i get really sarcastic to the point where i sound just like a horrible person
0: okay can i just offer something up to you hmm I think you're equal parts, your mother and your father. Yeah. <laughs> 50 50 <laughs> down the line. Like sometimes when I think about your dad, I'm like, Lindsay doesn't seem to have much of her dad in her. And then I'm like, oh, no, that's not true at all.
1: <laughs> Every time I say something snarky, <laughs> very inappropriately sarcastic. <laughs> i love
0: it except he could well you can too you have this ability but often you will like laugh immediately afterwards because of your people pleasing
1: yeah and then you're like i'm just kidding i want
0: everyone to make sure that they know i'm kidding
1: if i could just continue with that dry sense of humor i think i would be so much funnier (laughs) you'd be your dad i was so
0: scared like i didn't know if he was joking or not a lot of the time
1: yeah he says things even to waitresses like he, a waitress asked him. <laughs> My dad says shit to waitresses too. She was. He was like, "I'll take a coke," and she was like, "Diet." And he looks at her and, go, <laughs> and says, "I'd rather be shot in the head." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like straight face, and she's just like, and then I have to laugh for him. I think that's where it comes in. Like I have to laugh yeah, to let other people know. Protecting every, uh, everyone else. Yeah, like no, no, no. Don't worry, he's not crazy. This is his sense of I humor. Do.
0: I do the same thing with my dad, except it's not always sarcasm or like that. Like my dad would never say that, but <laughs> he'll say like really like dad cheesy things. And I have to be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: that's so cute.
0: It's cute. It's so cute. <laughs>
1: Anyways, I'm going to try to, you know, my improv classes, I've hit a plateau, but I'm working on it. Yeah, are they
0: improving you or not? I'm really worried. It's just creating
1: more tension and like internal dialogue (laughs) that's making me self-conscious, so.
0: You just lie awake at night rerunning scenes over and over in your head. Like all last
1: night, I was just practicing jokes for this episode.
0: I knew it. I knew it. I'll pretend like I don't know when the joke is. Okay. So it can be a real reaction. (laughs) (laughs) Uh...
1: Imagine people think that's
0: real. You still can't keep the sarcasm going. You have to let people <laughs> in on it. <laughs> let it just uh, be a joke. Let
1: them figure it the fuck out. Okay, All right, it's so not hard an improv. for me. It's so it's hard real. for me. Okay, okay. Welcome to we Middle We have a present for. <laughs> will this intro ever get easier? Nope. And neither will the outro. Bye. Let me offer pieces oh, of oh. advice for Eva. Hey, oh my god, how about? Don't inhale Don't all die, of your chemicals. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Don't inhale all of your chemicals, which is basically what we you basically said. We <laughs> basically
0: It's so dark. So dark.
1: You clicked on this episode because it said Eva Hessa on it. And why wouldn't you? She's the best. So you have the treat in hearing all about her. And luckily... We also have an Instagram where you
0: can see her gorgeous fucking face and because her gorgeous she's work. amazing and everything she makes is amazing. Welcome to Middle Brow. I think that we need to re-explain our theme song because I think that was in a lost episode.
1: So I know you all love it and you're like, wow, how did you come up with... <laughs> s- <laughs> Stop. <laughs> how did you come up with such a brilliant mixture of Tunes and Tones. (laughs) Olive's going to choke right now. (laughs) And you know what? How did we come up with such a brilliant little jingle for a brilliant podcast? (laughs) I had
0: nothing to do with it, that's for sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like codes. Nerd, nerd, I like codes. I do like codes. (laughs) I have my work as codes. Codes. I have three books on codes. There's a tattoo on codes. (laughs) I do. Two. She has two tattoo codes. Anyways, it is Middlebrow or Middlebrow Podcast. I can't remember now. Spelled out in a text-to-tone generator. And it was like... (laughs) Okay, read Middlebrow. Okay, well, get ready
0: for your line. It's at the end. What is it again? Trust me, we understand. We're right there with (laughs) you. Welcome to Middle Round, a mostly contemporary art podcast hosted by completely average human artists. That would be us. Nothing above average, nothing below average either, just pretty average. We talk about art. We try super hard to be super, super, super interesting for artists and for people who want to know about art but might be intimidated. Trust me, we're right there with you. This is my best friend, Lindsay
1: Schultz. And this is my best friend, Olive Moya. Okay. Eva Hessa. People always say her name differently. It's like Eva Hessa or Eva Hess or Eva Hess. But it is from her documentary. Eva Hessa. Hessa. Get it Uh. right. If you can, go on Amazon, Mm -hmm. rent the documentary. It's just called Eva Hessa. So good. It changed my life for the better and maybe changed Olive's life for the worst. Yeah, but it changed it, which means it was important. Eva, oh, I just love her so much. She's such a heartbreaker. She's such a workaholic. And mm-hmm. I aspire to embody mm. her spirit. We can do that in our seance, maybe. Okay. She'll let you. Yeah, I just want to okay. be her. She's just such a genius and everything mm-hmm. she makes is just like pure... Not gold, because even gold is just shit in comparison to what she makes. It's just well,
0: and the best part is like she seemed like she didn't know it. Like she knew she was doing something good. She knew that it was important, or but it was like it was worthwhile. her
1: self-evaluation of that.
0: Yeah, and she just had this. She struggled so much and stuff. She wasn't out there like I'm a fucking genius. She was like I'm struggling through this whole
1: fucking thing.
0: Yeah, like and I just that's like make, where it I came out make, of.
1: I need to make. I need to get this yeah. out of me.
0: Yeah, that's why she made me feel so bad. I was like, I guess I am not an artist because I don't <laughs> feel that deeply. Jesus.
1: She was born um in nineteen thirty six on January eleventh in Hamburg, Germany. Her sister and her were born there. In the documentary, her. Dad, who was a criminal lawyer, made this really cute journal photo book of their childhood with all these pictures and little notes. Mm. He said, "None of this may get lost, my beloved child, because there's nothing that sustains us more in the hardships of our lives than a review of our childhood." Mm. I'm going to cry already. I'm going to be I'm bawling sorry. by the end. If I don't cry by the end of this episode, it's a miracle. <laughs> i will make you cry That won't be hard you just have to say the word yeah cry.
0: <laughs> i don't think we told that story but i will never forget that i just said i'm crying right now and you started and i look up at Lindsay, and she's her face is completely red and she has tears streaming down her face like within an instant it took just one i just said I'm so crying, right? I don't even think I said that. I said I'm tearing up and you just were...
1: I was totally fine. I was just watching you read this really cute kid's book. And then all of a sudden, Olive was like, "That it's going to make me cry. Because I was tearing up. Yeah. yeah. So you said that and then all of a sudden, it just hit me. And like... <laughs> Her whole
0: face is Pouring brushed.
1: out of my eyes.
0: Pouring. I look
1: up. I'm like, what? i <laughs>
0: Like I just, and then I was confused. I thought she was crying before I was and I just didn't <laughs> notice. And she's like, no, I'm not even, I, I was like touched at first thinking, oh, she's crying at this whole idea. Nope. She's like, no, you just said it. And it made me cry. Big tears. Like,
1: what? <laughs> so her idea was to make art that was on the borderline of uncontrollability. I have a few quotes here that I wrote down in the beginning because she just wrote everything down she had journals i have a book loved
0: that about in
1: my studio of just her writing
0: in the documentary they just kept bringing it up and it was like everything started with like today i did this Mm -hmm. like it was just a journal she was just writing down what happened and how she felt about it every single day and i felt like that was so helpful to understand your own feelings to just do that every day
1: here's some quotes that she said that was i guess at the beginning of the documentary. There's not been one normal things in my life. Not one. Art is the easiest thing. It doesn't mean I've worked little on it, but it's the only thing I never had to. She's perfect. I have the most openness about my art. I'm willing, really, to walk on the edge. And if I haven't achieved it, that's where I want to go. I get so close, then change, destroy. I get distrustful of myself to be able to finish one and stand ground. This is me. This is what I want to say again. Perfect. (laughs) I have felt for the majority of my life different alone and apart from others. Was it in my feeling estranged and different that I could claim the title of painter. What I've accepted as the answer is that true artist is paradoxically also the true personal misfit. Eva's life and her art, uh, merged completely she i was just gonna say are not different yeah (laughs) she is her materials she is her work her work is her when eva was 16 she went to pratt and she said i didn't like it very much at all when you Hmm. started painting class you had to do a lemon still life and then you graduated to do a lemon and bread still life and then you graduated to do a lemon bread and egg still life this was not my idea of painting I don't think that's anyone's idea of painting. No, the worst. She wanted to drop out, but she wanted to wait until she got A's instead of C's. So she knew it wasn't just based on effort or skill that she was I love leaving. her even more. Yeah. She's, she's like, like, I can do this. I just don't want to. Yeah. She had to prove it to herself. I like, I can get A's. I can be good at this, but I just don't want to be here.
0: Mm-hmm. I love her.
1: She went back home after she dropped out and then her stepmom told her, you need to get a job. Oh, like, I forgot about this part. All moms. They're all parents. <laughs> They're the best. They're trying to just keep get a job fed. So she reached out to Seventeen Magazine. Yeah, that's my
0: first place to get a job. Just kidding. It was frozen yogurt. That sounds like <laughs> a great endgame game. Aspiration. Yeah. I mean, that's
1: where people get to at some point in their life. Yeah. <laughs> Through the magazine she was able to get some of her art out into the world. So this was around 1954, if you're keeping track. So, all of quick math. It's 54, she was 36. born in 36. <laughs>
0: 19, 18,
1: 18. During this time when she was also working at 17 magazine, she took classes at the Art Students League of New York. Remember we talked about this in Clifford mm. Still episode? Yeah.
0: That huge list of an amazing artist that the went best there.
1: place. Um, I wanna go to New York just to be a part of this legacy.
0: I'll just go there for a semester mm-hmm. just to have my name on that list.
1: To reiterate, the Art Students League of New York is an art school known for its broad appeal to both amateurs and professional artists. You can take reasonably priced classes on a schedule that works for you. So if you have a job or if you work at golden spoon and you need to go to art school <laughs> some notable alumni from art students league of new york are ai wei alexander calder clifford Stilt, donald judd lee krasner roy lichtenstein georgia o'keefe barnett newman louise bourgeois Jackson Pollock, Robert Rauschenberg, Man Ray, Norman Rockwell, Mark Rothko, Robert Smithson, Frank Stella, Cy Twombly.
0: Whoa! I can't wait to do Cy. I can't wait to do Frank Stella. I'm so excited. <laughs> i maybe do I should Robert just Smithson.
1: do them. You're gonna do who? Robert Smithson. Ooh.
0: I should do Roy. I've held a Roy Lichtenstein before. Just so you guys really know. was Act. it. Uh, Linda owned one. Yep.
1: Yeah. Eva took the middle of the year test for Cooper Union, and she got in which means nothing if you don't know what Cooper Union is. So let me explain. Cooper Union, for the advancement of... Science and Art is a private college at Cooper Square on the border of East Village neighborhood of Manhattan, New York City. For the fancy folks, Cooper Union originally offered free courses to its admitted students. And when a four year undergraduate program was established in 1902, the school granted each admitted student a full tuition scholarship. It offers undergraduate and master's degree programs exclusively in the fields of architecture. Fine arts and engineering.
0: Those are weird
1: and three things. The following September, she attended Cooper Union and claimed she loved it from the very beginning. Oh my God, look at these photos.
0: Look at her. Little baby girl.
1: Unretouched proof. Oh, it's perfect? Yeah, that's Eva.
0: (laughs) She was perfect and she didn't even try. Gotcha.
1: (laughs) Unfortunately, which is really sad, her father was not supportive of her artistic pursuits
0: that's so weird because he seems like such a lovely
1: father figure to her he loved her so much and i think it came from a sincere place of just like i want you to make it in life and he just didn't know you know it's a lot of parents
0: Well, I think he did know, but it's just, like, if we're being honest, that's a smart. If you want your kid to just be for
1: sure taken care
0: of, art is not for sure.
1: (laughs) So he wrote her a letter saying, You were always very successful in all that you did, but painting and studying are pleasant jobs. In order to stand on your feet, you have to do things which you feel today are not so pleasant. And if a person has a job or earns a living, this is something which also gives satisfaction. And she said... In a letter back, Daddy, I want to do more than just exist. To live happily and contented with a home children to do the same chores every day. I am an artist.
0: Oh, she's saying like she does not want to live with a home and children.
1: Eva then went to Yale and studied most famously with Joseph Albers. And Eva said, I was Albers' little color color studiest. Everybody always called me that. And every time he walked into the classroom, he would ask, what did Eva do? <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, I'm impressed. So she was really tight with Joseph and she finished art school at the end. Of- Smart. Yeah. She finished art school at the end of the 50s and went from Yale into New York in the 60s. Um, he probably had a crush on her too oh i guarantee he had a crush on her yeah
0: not he was like where's eva he walked into the classroom and was like fuck all y'all
1: where's eva (laughs) get me my eva i need my eva she went to new york and as people always talk about it was such a great time in new york for all facets of work in music and literature and poetry and painting and everything there's people like Susan Sontag and Yvonne Rainer and Janice Joplin and Alan Caprow mm-hmm. and Jasper Johns. And anyways, um, there was a feeling like they were reinventing painting. And I think this was around the time where everyone was just like, painting's dead, painting's dead. Don't be a painter. And they're like, no, painting is what I'm meant to do.
0: Painting will never be dead. I'm so sorry.
1: Yeah, that's the worst thing to say.
0: Dadaists were so retarded when they were like, I mean, it was nice and all that they tried to do that, but then art was just like, uh, cool. So anyway, we're going to keep making art now. Dadaists were like, we don't make art. We everything is dead and it doesn't matter and then like, everyone's oh, cool. like, uh, I still want to paint. <laughs> yeah. Cool, sounds fun.
1: Bye. Um, I will abandon restrictions and curbs imposed on myself. I will strip me of superficial dishonesties. I will paint against every rule.
0: Hell yeah, girl.
1: Her other BFF, Richard Serra, said, You have to understand that the time, there wasn't any art world. There were people making work for themselves and for each other, and there wasn't any product. Commodification hadn't happened. The art world hadn't been taken over by collectors. Nancy Holt, who's also one of my other favorite land artists, says, no one was thinking about how much money they were going to make. It was all dedicating your life to your work. Nancy,
0: teach me your ways, Nancy.
1: So here's where Mr. Tom Doyle enters the scene. Tommy boy. We like him, but we don't love him. No, he's not our favorite if we're on Eva's side. Uh, he had a lot of self-work that needed to be done before he was ready mm-hmm. to really be a part of Eva's life. But
0: I like that he was in the mm-hmm. documentary.
1: I know, he was so cute. And he too. was just like...
0: Yeah, hey, I, I kind of sucked, but <laughs> <laughs> I was like this when he first was in it. I was like, that must have ended well. If he's in yeah. this documentary, they must still be married or something. <laughs> and then he was like, no, no, I was an asshole. But yeah, hey, I was young.
1: So Tom was Eva's hubby, but first before they were hubby and wifey. They met at a party. She was warned against him though because he came Mm. from a wild crowd. He was like the life of the party and funny and charming but was a crazy Irish drunk and was (laughs) always trying to charm all the ladies. Um, We all know that type of personality and we all know it's best to keep your distance. Yeah,
0: Those fucking drunk Irish people that are funny don't talk to them.
1: Have them be your buddies. Don't Marry yeah.
0: them. <laughs> yeah, we're fine to be friends with. Just don't marry us. Don't tell my husband. Oh, us. you're talking about you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I knew she didn't get it. Yeah. I was like, I'll just keep it together.
1: <laughs> okay, here's one thing that I just love. There's this footage uh, where they all went out to George Siegel's farm. and There was loads of young artists were there. They're all kind of doing their own thing. It was this kind of mm-hmm. carnival they were all doing these sculpture dances, and there were happenings. And dancer Yvonne Rainer was there dancing on a barn rooftop, just doing her thing. She reminds me so much of Marley, Marley Grace. Yeah. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Marley reminds me so much of this generation's Rainer. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a very similar movement style. That's cool. I love it. And then at this farm carnival, Eva constructed a tube made of fabric where people could sort of wiggle their way through when it was just this dancing fabric worm. And it was just a time for artists to go there and play and be goofy and make things and just have a good time, which so cool. where does anyone do that now? I would love I have this big piece of property now just like invite a bunch of artists to come for the week and just can you make art? Let's have it happening. Okay. Okay. Done. Good deal. Everyone, head out to Northern California. <laughs> See Tomorrow. you next week. Okay. <laughs> so her father didn't want her marrying anyone except a Jew. So Tom converted, which is okay. Cute. Legit. Yeah. They got a loft together in New York City, which was a half a block long. Can you imagine? Holy
0: shit! Okay. This is the difference between the times. Yep. You could get a half a block long loft in New York City. I'm sorry, anywhere. Yeah. in New York City, half a block long loft, crazy, and be working artists. That's some mm-hmm. bullshit. I talk like I know about New York. I know. I know.
1: I've been there. Like I was. Three I've been there times. once. Short trips. <laughs> oh, she's so cute. Look at her little flower I crown. Know. I feel like if he were to murder her, they would for sure use this picture where she looks like tense and he's like like, crazy and like very controlling, just grabbing her shoulder. Yeah. They would put this photo on the screen with like (laughs) eerie music in the background and like zoom into his crazy eyes. Yeah. Oh, man her first shows in New York was a watercolor show at the Brooklyn and maybe her first show ever this is when she's in New York was a watercolor show at the Brooklyn Museum and uh the three young Americans show her friend Ethelyn told them about this gallery she just walked past called Janice Gallery and they had this huge exhibition um happening then called pop art and she said they needed to go down and look at it because it was never the art world was never going to be the same. And in the show so crazy. Yeah. In the show there was Warhol's and Oldenburg's and lichtensteins and so they went to go look at the show when everyone thought that Eva would be much more into it than Tom would be. And I'm curious if I was in that time and pop art was brand new if, if I, I would that, be too. into
0: it, or if yeah, I'd... I think about that all the time. Like sometimes I worry that I, as a person, am just more of a follower mm-hmm. than a leader. You know yeah. what I mean?
1: I feel like my initial gut reaction is to just be <laughs> negative. Me too.
0: Like if it's like trash on the ground, you're like, and it's like in a museum, you're like, this looks like shit. Dumb. Like so, like, I finally know? watched
1: watched that art movie. The horror movie. Oh my God. And when he walks into John Malkovich's studio and he's like, wow, this is visionary. And he's like, that's the garbage. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's my
0: favorite. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it so
1: much. It's the garbage. Okay. So she said, for me, painting has to become that. Making art. Painting a drawing. The history, the tradition is too much there. I want to be surprised. I want to continue drawing, push the individuality of them, even though they go against every major trend. Fuck that. So did everyone I admire. I love her. Yep.
0: I said I love her. Yeah. I love that she was just like, fuck the man.
1: (laughs) At the time they were living in New York, Eva was working at a jewelry store to just have some extra income. Tom was teaching at the new school. So he was much more of this in-the-art-scene-making-it-happen person. And Tom had been approached about doing a show um, in Basel, which he, they wanted his stone sculptures. And because they were so heavy and difficult, he was like, I need to go to Germany and make, th- make the work there, then ship them to Switzerland. And they're like, okay, let's go work in Germany. And Eva was nervous about going because of her family's history she said the pressure of leaving lies heavy on me so at this time she was when she was in new york she became really close friends with solowit and when she so when she goes to germany they communicate back and forth a lot and even after the fact he's such a sweetheart to her he was so in love with her and he's just him the so best much. um but they met at this point when she was living in new york Tom and Eva go to Germany and they're set up in Kettwig. And it's a town that has like textile factories. She said, Our studio, top floor with skylight and windows every two feet. I sit and hope I will work some. I might just have to believe in me more before working will mean something to me. She got there. She was really struggling. They spent 15 months total in Germany. It's a long time. Yeah. Um, It was really difficult being there. Uh, She said on, on June 13th, 1964, she said, Our sixth day here in Ketwig. Yesterday, I had some melancholy. I developed some of my more troubled thoughts and feelings. I was born in Germany in 1936. This is when the documentary starts talking about when her sister Helen was born. Hitler had already been in power for five months. Her father lost his profession on April 24th, 1933. And on December 7th, Helen and Eva left for Holland with the children's transport. Eva was under three and Helen was five and a half. Their uncle was supposed to pick them up when they arrived in Holland, but he wasn't allowed. So instead they were just put into this Catholic children's home and were basically part of this foster slash orphanage program. And she said there was a lot of shit that happened she used to be potty trained, but then regressed when she went to Holland at this Catholic mm. program. Mm. And when she'd have an accident, they would spank her. And she got really sick, so they quarantined her and wouldn't even let her sister come visit. Oh, my God. What the fuck? Yeah. And um, finally, in February, her parents were rescued and arrived in Holland and picked up the girls. Oh, my God. Wait, so how long? So from December February, to February. December it wasn't too ago. i mean, long enough
0: long enough to fucking dramatize a child
1: sadly um their uncle uh her uncle his wife all of her grandparents they got picked up and sent to concentration camps but none of them made it out her parents were extremely lucky at the end of summer 1933 they went to america via one of her father's cousins her mom was bipolar, as Eva describes it, she was there, and then she wasn't there. And at a certain point, she felt like she wasn't able to care for her daughters, and so she just left. The girls shifted from home to home. Once her mother received the news that her parents had died in the concentration camps, she jumped from the roof of their eighteen story building. Their dad didn't uh, yeah. yeah, their dad didn't tell um the girls. Um, but because it was in the paper kids at school taunted eva with the news oh and eva was 10 years old now
0: how did he not tell her then
1: i don't know like i, I don't be a terrible him, conversation. but
0: but the kid if it's in the papers man
1: later since she was still suffering from her experiences her stepmom urged her to see a therapist and she said that was super helpful Ooh. so oh my God. like we Thank said goodness. last time everyone go to therapy <laughs> go to therapy there's no sadness and it is only yeah.
0: helpful if you find the right one search for the right one
1: um so going back to germany it brought up a ton of that horrible fucking shit stuff from her childhood so she for the first two weeks there she had really gruesome nightmares and then almost a year into their time in germany she began to track down her past but in one instance, when returning to her childhood home, she was turned away, which was so hard on her. Damn, that's um, she's like, yeah, I'm ready no, to phase no, it. And they're like, no, yeah, get out of here. We don't want to talk to you. She's still painting, but she's struggling. So she says, Tom can find work difficult, but less so as he know as he knows what he's about and what he wants to achieve. <laughs> She's very self-deprecating. She was really hard on herself and put a lot of pressure on her. And I think in this time, everyone was really feeling Tom's ego too. Like we're there for his work, and he's gonna have this show and mm-hmm. he was there with Those purpose. and she was kind of tagging along as the white going back to a place of trauma. And I don't know how sympathetic Tom was to that and
0: even if your studio mates was someone who's like, on their shit in Mm -hmm. that moment and they like know exactly what they want to do and they're just in work mode that's got to be hard to just walk into that studio and be like okay i'm gonna what am i gonna do i don't even know (laughs) (laughs) i'm so stuck and then you write and then you're like i can't and then it's just it must have just been hard to be there with him
1: (laughs) i don't know many successful art couples that are both kicking ass like usually one always outshines the other and Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 a tricky dynamic it's a very competitive relationship Mm -hmm. for a lot of people so even tom traveled to all the museums in the area they went to london and rome and paris and they began helping each other on their work and their professional life was good but their private life was not particularly because of his excessive drinking. that Irish drinking. Those Irish alcoholics. <laughs> yeah. Listen to you your friends, been people. warned. <laughs> yeah. Always trust your friends. She wrote to her friend Rosie, explaining her anger at Tom is growing and reaching a breaking point. At parties, he is obnoxious. He would go around dipping girls at parties and kissing them. What and a- Eva. Yeah, like right in front of what Eva. What a fucking dick. I'm sorry.
0: That's i would leave the country <laughs> like if i came <laughs> to a lie. country with you and mm-hmm. you did that at a party i would goddamn leave that country
1: goodbye so evo was hurt by this obviously, obviously. <laughs> she writes on thursday november 19th i've turned a new leaf Ooh,
0: i remember hearing this and yeah and you're like yeah Paul, yeah, and you're yeah. Like, here we find go find
1: yourself So I have some of these early drawings that she started doing and it's nothing like her later work, but she's figuring it out. She's drawing. She's like on a roll, just cannot stop drawing. And then she finally started using, in quotes, using some of the junk that had been all over the studio. And she begins building these forms with glue and paper on masonite. On some forms, she glued cord. And there's this one piece that's sort of the beginning of her work becoming three-dimensional. And it's this kind of cord rope that spirals and spirals and spirals and comes off the panel into almost like a big Like a booby. yep. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Ring Around a Rosie.
0: I love that this whole story represents how, despite how terrible this whole maybe relationship and move to Berlin. They were in Berlin, right? Moved to Berlin. No, no, no,
1: They were in Ketwig.
0: Oh, okay. Sorry. Moved to Germany. And this whole thing was like traumatizing and hard. And she had all this, quote unquote, melancholy Mm -hmm. stuff. It's just like, had she not been there with all this just random trash Mm -hmm. and had she not gotten through all these things there's no way that she would have come out making the work that she made so she
1: had to i love it i mean this is what i think gives me hope in my practice is understanding that you need to struggle and Mm -hmm. if you just keep pushing and pushing and not give up you can have these incredible breakthroughs that are Mm life-changing
0: and just like the belief that Things kind of happen for a reason and that you even though you're in this hardship, if you just mm-hmm. don't give up, like you said, that something will come of it and it yeah. will be good.
1: Going back to Saul, Love him. this little cutie pie on April 2nd, 1965, she writes to Saul, I trust myself not enough to come through with any one idea. So I fluctuate between working at the confusion or non working at the confusion when not actually at work. I nevertheless struggle with the ideas. So he wrote back on April 14th, learn to say fuck you to the world once in a while. Love him. You have every right to. Just stop thinking, worrying, looking over your shoulder, Wondering, doubting, fearing, hurting, hoping for some easy way out, struggling, grasping, confusing, bitching, moaning, groaning, horseshitting, piss trickling, nose sticking, eyeball poking, ass gouging, searching, <laughs> perching, grinding, besmirching, grinding, grinding away at yourself. Stop it and just do. He's my favorite person. And then this letter he had do like in this huge block letter at the end with like a bunch of... Uh, like design around it. So I just do am drawing
0: this and putting it up in my studio. Yeah, it's, it's the so best good. thing
1: Saul is the best. So Eva said, "One should be content with the process as well as the result." I'm not. And Saul was like, "You must practice being stupid, dumb, unthinking, empty. Then you'll be able to do."
0: He's talking about Lindsay.
1: <laughs> i know maybe that's why i connected to this so Empty much. yourself
0: out and just and I do like, something yeah
1: yeah yeah <laughs> they go back and forth she makes doesn't know where it's going feels discontent and Saul is really guiding her through this process giving her permission to relax and just make bad work mm-hmm. and actually aim for the worst he's like make the worst work you can make and then see where it goes i love it On April 23rd, she finishes this work, An Ear in a Pond. She begins to feel good working all evening, working on expanding the work. Oh, these are the other works that she's making. So Legs of a Walking Ball and Ooh Mama Boomba Boomba. And these pieces are works that are starting to come off of the painting and become more three-dimensional and uh, they're new and no one's ever seen work like this before. And it's a very exciting time for her and her work was radical leaving the frame more so than other artists whose work also expanded outside the frame they had a show in ketvig of the work tom and eva had made presented by the same people who brought tom out for basel the uh, sheets Sh- yeah it was a big exhibition especially because tom was this international star but eva's work was a sideshow in just this like garden sort of greenhouse and tom's work was all over the place um just like the relationship, she was sort of <laughs> pushed aside. Um, but people were really interested in her. And she sold two pieces, and this show got her another show on August 6th in Dusseldorf. She came to Germany as a painter, a post-abstract expressionist, and is leaving as a sculptor. A funny kind of surrealist. Cool. Wait, should we describe
0: these a little bit, if people don't know? Like, it's like a panel or a canvas or something. And then the sculpture aspect is just, yeah, literally coming off of it in aspects. So there's, like, uh, some of that cord, again, wrapped around and around, like, on the surface of the canvas or panel or whatever. And then, like, in an ear in a pond, there's just, like, a string coming or maybe more cord coming from the center of the wrapped cord just hanging all the way down past, past, past the painting. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, they're colorful, there's some mute colors, but then, like, one of them is just, like, a baby blue with this, like, lime, green, yellowy color shape.
1: In all three of them, there's, like, a flat background color. In one, it's, like, a cream. The other one's kind of a yellowish cream. and the other, it's this aqua blue. Then there's sort an abstract shape. The first one kind of looks like a flower and a stem. The next one is just this weird, almost head shape with a neck yeah i think it'd be like
0: that too like a brain on the inside yeah
1: and the other is kind of this like sleeve with fingers almost but they're just these abstract shapes yeah and then within that it's built up with the three-dimensional component like the first one goes is the thing from the center of the flower down and then the other two are these just wrapped shapes like start and end or like one, I think stays off, but they start or end or start and end, on and off the canvas and come out and come back or just stick out. The cords are painted too. Mm-hmm. That was good. I think that that was a little helpful.
0: And you feel like it has like a kind of like surrealism. Like the objects have a personality a little bit or like mm-hmm. a like personified in some way. Like the clock. Like if we're being super obvious surrealist, that most people would know like dolly like the clocks that are melting and stuff like you feel like they're someone almost than just an mm-hmm. object and that's kind of how these
1: feel yeah okay so in 1965 and 66 she came back to new york and felt empowered by taking off there and this is where she like comes back and just kicks ass Mm-hmm. She began to uh, to wade into the world of minimalism. So think like Donald Judd, Carl Andre. um, With minimalism, there was no curves, no color, no anything, just presence. And this is where she was like, I like minimalism, but like I'm also going to have curves and have a color and do what I want. Mm hmm. So Eva was surrounded by minimalist friends. She was also making work that was deeply personal, which in minimalism was not a thing. It was like the anti-personal. Yeah, And it was described as being warm and human and full of soul. Eva Hesse is associated with the post-minimal art movement. One of the first artists who moved from minimalism to post-minimalism. Arthur Danto our critic and philosopher. Distinguished post-minimalism from minimalism by its mirth and jokiness and unmistakable whiff of eroticism. It's a non-mechanical repetition. So that's the difference between minimalism and post-minimalism.
0: Yeah. yeah, minimalism was a lot of repetition, but it was very, like, gridded, structured.
1: I like grids with personal. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? Yeah, I draw
0: <laughs> my grids with my own hand. How about that shit?
1: <laughs> so Eva said... I feel so strongly that the only art is the art of the artist personally. My interest is in solely finding my own way. I don't mind being miles from everybody else. I think that's so unlike most people. If you're doing mm-hmm. that, something that no one else is doing or no one else is thinking about. This obviously is bad. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> And no one cares about it. It's not even about yeah. wanting it. Like, say you just wanted to do it outside the realm of people paying for it. Just like no one will even give a shit about this yeah. because it's not what's happening. I must right. be out of my mind or like out of.
1: I don't but know. She's not. She was amazing. Her friend talked about the concept of absurdity in Eva's life and work. She talked about how Eva considered her life had been absurd and her present absurd. And even wanted to capture that absurdity in her work. So she like hoped when people would look at her work, it'd be like embody absurdity. Mm -hmm. Nancy Holt describes the ridiculousness aspect too. the works on the wall, having the sense that they were just not in control. That the universe is pulling the strings and you might as well stand back and enjoy it. Mm. If you can see, so she starts moving completely away from painting and it all just becomes sculptural and these objects that she's interacting with each other and hanging off the wall and combining materials and you can see her work really start taking shape here this
0: is such a great i'm gonna post this photo
1: yeah the black and white one yeah she revealed in a letter to her friend ethylene honig in 1965 that a woman is quote-unquote at disadvantage from the beginning she lacks conviction that she has the right to achievement she also lacks the belief that her achievements are worthy. She continued to this day. Yeah, she continued to explain that a fantastic strength is necessary and courage. I dwell on this all the time. My determination and will are strong, but I am lacking so in self esteem that I never seem to overcome. And this is something I really like about her is because she's ballsy and she's making this work that she wants to make and she's doing it. But she's also Clear about her insecurities at the same time.
0: Yeah, she's like questioning herself at every single decision and turn, yet she still did it. She still had to be like, What's the point then? I just have to do it.
1: But at the same time, she writes that all of her hangups now are almost all related to Tom, her husband. Probably true. Yep. So at this point, they had two lofts on the Bowery. Just two. She writes, I am alone. Tom never with me any longer. Carries on, as always, and runs around. He goes to openings and parties, but those things he attends never with me. And then this was their breaking point. So it was Christmas, and Tom came home with a pipe, as he describes it, a beautiful pipe. And she asks how much it cost, and he said 35 bucks. And she just replies, get out. This story is so relatable, I
0: can't even handle it. It's like the <laughs> best. Like, all right, I'm fucking done with you. Get out. Bought a stupid fucking pipe for thirty five dollars, which is probably like sixty dollars in today's money. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, and she was just done. And he did. He walked out. It was the words that he was waiting for as he describes it. Obviously, there was a ton of tension before that and the pipe (laughs) wasn't just about the pipe. The breaking point. So in 1966, they divorced, which is best for everyone Mm -hmm. in that situation. She says, All my stakes are in my work. I've given up on all else. I do feel I'm an artist and one of the best. I do deeply.
0: After she divorces, all the confidence comes back. She knows she's
1: one of the best. Um, I can't even describe these. You guys just have to go look at them. They're yeah, so beautiful. They're so one cool. looks like like a cement brick. If you pushed your boobs into them. Mm. And it's like two little kind of perfectly round holes. Yeah, with not my, not my boobs. <laughs> <laughs> perfectly round and supple. Um, and then from the center where the nipple would be, there's just these two ropes that come down to the ground and circle. I don't know if they're ropes or if it's like cord a again, cable or something. Or something. Yeah. yeah. But they come down and circle on the ground. And then one's this big black ball that's being held in a like a net from this the ceiling and then below the net the ropes kind of get scraggly so on march 1st at graham gallery hang up was her most important work then it was the first time her her feeling of absurdity came through she writes the whole thing is ludicrous it's the most ridiculous sculpture that i've ever made and that is why it is really good
0: I feel like you and I would disagree on, but you aren't. You aren't at all. You're just like, yeah, it's great.
1: <laughs> I'm so much in love with her. Her dedication to her practice and her exploration, and really trying to understand herself and her work. Mm-hmm. And I think I admire that because I want to get to a point where I can be that playful with myself. I think I take myself too seriously. Yeah, but I also. I want reasons for things. And I think that balances out because she writes so much and she does try to understand herself. Mm-hmm. So I'm not so critical on her. It's just like she's just making things and trying to be absurd. She's thinking a lot of, about a lot of complex things and it doesn't go unnoticed.
0: I don't know. I'm having trouble with it. I think it's one of those things like. Well, I'm not having trouble with it. In reality, like I've never had trouble with anything like that. So that's why I Mm -hmm. don't have trouble with it. I just have trouble coming out of our last conversation trying to think about like, I don't know, the purpose of I think she's I love her work. And I think it's incredible. And I do think she's complex and she's trying to figure things out. And she's working through this process of like, I think making work for her is a processing moment or what like action and I think all those things are buried in each work like whatever was going on or whatever she's mm-hmm. dealing with and that all makes sense to me but I don't know I guess my head is just so full of everything from our last conversation I'm just like what is everything you know what I mean like what is the purpose of it then like why does it exist and what's the point point?
1: and I feel like if you don't know things or you're just sort of faking it to get through I feel like I'm being lied to. It's all a learning process, and we can see that here at like, least sh- every artist is developing as we go. And it would be boring if it wasn't that way. If we're 30 and we're just like, this is what I do, and this is it. And like, I think it's one thing to understand where you're at at this moment and why you're making something now. But it doesn't need to be your entire practice. Like your whole practice should be an evolution. Yeah. If it's not, then that's also a problem.
0: I guess I'm I'm where you were at. Like I want to know, like you kind of put that idea in my head a little bit more about like what I know she wrote a lot. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she wrote a lot about like her feelings and her emotions and how she, what she's dealing with. And if she thought the work was successful or mm-hmm. not seemed like something she often wrote about. But I wonder, and maybe you have it in here, I'd love to hear it, but, like, what did she say about this, though? But it is really personal, and that was another thing we talked about, that, like, personal, a lot of times if work is really personal, there's not too much you're going to say about it, besides that it is about that.
1: They still think, even if it's personal, you can talk about how you situate it in the dialogue of whatever you're presenting. Yeah, yeah. So she began spending time with Saul and she told her friend, It would be so nice if I could love Saul and if we could just oh. be together. Eva was the love of Solowitz's life. And Eva loved Saul, but she loved him like a brother. Oh, friend zoned. Yep, poor Saul. Then on August 16th, 1966, her father passed away. And this was devastating to Eva. She was so close with her father. And put that energy back into her work, though, and to try to find happiness. Grr. Yeah, poor Eve. She was in an exhibit called Eccentric Abstraction, and the work that was in it was called Metronomic Irregularity. Contradiction was an important thing in her work. She was able to learn all the lessons of the minimalists and yet make it her own with humor and crudeness. The show got a good amount of attention. Hilton Kramer wrote about it in the New York Times. But in the review, I remember seeing this. It was bullshit. In the review, it gave most of the article to the men. And she was so pissed. The only thing (laughs) that she was mentioned in said... Miss Hessa's intricate labyrinth of slender white wires on painted plywood simply adapts the imaginary of Jackson Pollock's drip paintings to a three-dimensional medium. Oh
0: my fucking god! First of all, no, it doesn't. Second of all, stop comparing me to men. And third of all, you don't fucking.
1: (laughs) She was reading *The Second Sex* and said. I always felt that all women were up against it. In the art world, men always got more encouragement and more support. And Nancy Holt said, women weren't even seen so that you were invisible. Eva was doing this extraordinary work and being seen by a few people. So that broke some barriers. And I could see the cracks happening in the male-dominated system. Yeah, hell yeah. Rosie said Eva wanted to be seen as an artist. Anytime they tried to make her a woman artist, she was pissed. That's pretty amazing for her time. Yeah. She was just like,
0: because if I were at that time, I'd be like, yeah, I'm a woman artist. What's yeah. like the big deal? Now,
1: the way to beat discrimination in art is by art, she said. Excellence has no sex. She denied her work was strictly feminist, defending it as feminine but without feminist statements in mind. And in an interview with Cindy Nemser for Women's Art Journal in 1970, she states, excellence has no sex. hmm so these are the painted panels with the white wires that he claimed to look like Jackson Pollock. What is he talking about? <laughs> are you an idiot? Yep. That looks nothing like that.
0: Look at her, her little white so oh god, She's so cute.
1: Let's talk about material. Solowit said that she was very involved with the specific medium that she was working with. So there's a place called Canal Street. And it was this like Canal Street technology. And it was basically this wonderland of materials. You'd walk down, there'd just be like buckets and bins of just weird things. Like like building stuff. Yeah, like, it was just like bolts like screws and, 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 yeah. and rope and plastic. And often the materials would lead you to an idea. There was like a rubber store and a store that sold old shell casings. And anyways, it was a cool place to go. And she would always go there to get ideas. So she was dealing with industrial-slash-waste material, and she wanted to make it feel ucky. And Saul describes her taking all these materials and making them her own to the point of them losing their junky quality. Writer Lucy talks about it being so hard to not look at Eva's work psychologically. She says that you can see Eva sitting there with all of her materials almost like it was another creature and working with them and not another creature, maybe herself. Because they were all so self-identifying. This is where she put a lot of her anxieties. So Donald Droll, a gallerist, said if she's ready, she can do a show in the main large room. Which was a huge Mm. deal. And she was like, yes, I'm in. And (laughs) (laughs) it's called Matter Matters. She symbolically, at this time, cut off all of her hair. I tried to find this awesome video of the history of women with short hair and how back in the day everyone tried to force women to have long hair and it was this very feminine thing and it was almost this oppressive thing like you had to have long hair and then there was a group of women who cut their hair short in some sort of resistance I think to be part of the like resistance army a bunch of women did it and then it caught on as this trend and then people overseas started cutting their hair to look like these women resistance people and then that's so cool and then no one would actually cut short bobs in the states and there was the flappers who had like the short hairstyle bobs and then that popularized it. But I think before then, maybe a celebrity cut their hair short and then it became more of a thing to do. Anyways, I went through this whole story in such an interesting way on the history of short hair and long hair. So I tried to find the video and I couldn't. So I'll try to find it again.
0: That's so weird. Oh. I never even thought about it. But then that. there's
1: this whole psychology of also women cutting their hair and reinventing themselves and cutting off the weight. And like in, in movies, whenever a female character goes through change, mm. they always cut their hair off. Yeah. Yeah. It's super symbolic. She symbolically cut off all of her hair and it was a way from getting away from being a wife. And now it's all about her work. Plus, it makes it way easier to wash your hair. I'll tell you that. So this is when she really began playing around with material. She played with rubber, epoxy, plastic, silicone, uh, silastics. That's not a thing. She was admitted into a group called Experiments in Art and Technology. She attended a lecture in the use of polymers and latex. At this point, she goes to this plastic store called Aegis, is run by this guy Doug Johns and the store was created specifically to help artists create their particular things and projects. So for example, he would help artists figure out how, how fiber at glass acts when it's saturated and when it's hard and what it would look like when it was still soft and all of these things. Um, He had the knowledge and they had the idea. So she made a connection with the owner, Doug And they began working on her pieces a couple months later. Connection. (laughs) (laughs) When she went out (laughs) to look at them, she was horrible horrified though which i want to
0: see what they looked like when he made them Poor
1: doug she was just like they're way too perfect they so they needed her touch and her specificity to them it was just like how she crinkled them and which one she crinkled this way and how you know everything just had to be her way
0: yeah like they talked about how important it was that her hand was in her work and that's super obvious i feel like in a lot of it and that's why it feels so human and personal is that her hand was always
1: on yeah just like the tiniest adjustments on like her like hanging latex pieces she just like would move things around a little bit and be like there that's it once she redid the the pieces she was ecstatic and at that point they were a team so this work here that we're talking about it's called repetition 19 And they're so pretty. It starts off as just these little line drawings of cylinders. These like wonky cylinders. And then there's like almost a paper mache looking one. And then these filled plaster looking ones. And then the finalized ones of glossy fiberglass hollow ones that are so pretty. Olive doesn't like the shiny. But they're beautiful
0: and the whole thing like the reason they're cool is because they're all imperfect like some are like crinkled over bending over a little bit some look like they're standing upright. they each have their yeah. own little and the thing is like personality. you know
1: they're rock hard but they have this softness to them Mm -hmm. they look delicate and like you could just crinkle them you know i think that's where her playfulness with materials is so successful is she creates that delicateness with these really well maybe not permanent but these like industrial materials
0: yeah like very masculine like traditionally
1: masculine materials doug moved in with her upon her suggestion (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> and they would work all day and all night and then collapse and then repeat. And it was just a dream, like a montage. That was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Together, they made this box and covered on the outside with a very thick layer of fiberglass. And they drilled holes into it. They made 29,000 holes, sanded it, inserted these plastic tubes through each hole. And it was called a session. Rosie Goldman her friend said I've never seen anything so sexual and fantastic in my whole life when you put your head inside you couldn't hear anything outside Mm -hmm. Doug said her feeling was that the art was the artifact of the process the art was in the making the artifact was what was left over so Doug poor Dougie he was so madly (laughs) one of many He was just like everyone else. He was so madly in love with her. And he claims that she was infatuated with him, but that she was in love with her art. That sounds pretty correct. Yeah. Then she began to rubberize fabric. She Oh, cheesecloth. That's what I was playing with. Yeah. I didn't even know I'm such a copycat. I thought that's where you got it from. No. Oh. Um, I just had it in my house and I was like, I like the open weakness oh. of this. Oh, she's one million steps ahead of me. <laughs> she's already amazing. <laughs> um, so she began to rubberize fabric and this was discovering a new process so she combined the rubber and the fiberglass doug let her know that plastics and rubber are fugitives rubber will last at best 10 to 15 years it will start cracking and turning to dust which she replied good let them worry about it i love it good i'll just paint with fucking house paint yeah. it's fine the work has to exist as it has to exist uh mm-hmm. then there's this beautiful show at the Fischbach Gallery. This is her quote saying, I would like the work to be non-work, to find its way beyond my preconceptions, to go beyond what I know and can know. It is something. It is nothing. Mm. She's just like a riddle maker. Yeah. I'm
0: like, "Mm." if I were her friend, I'd be like, "Uh uh-huh. Sure. So do you
1: want to go get coffee I don't think I put it in here. Maybe I did but what you were talking about was she's trying to explain her concepts to her friends and they just like are not getting it. So she picks up a glass and just throws it against the fireplace. And is like, this is my work.
0: And then, I mean, that's really cool and all, but I still don't get it. (laughs) Like like I could do that. Like that's my new thing to say when people don't understand what I'm saying. I'm not really good at communicating. I'm just going to throw things (laughs) and see if I seem cooler for it. Now do you get it? They're like, no, but I don't want you to ruin any more of my glassware.
1: It's not even your stuff.
0: <laughs> I just go to someone else's house and start
1: wrecking their furniture. And their like, plates. I really didn't even ask you to explain your work. <laughs>
0: Come you want me to explain it for you? No, no. Watch me. What? No. We did this
1: last time. I thought I told you not to do this again. Okay, so... <laughs> All of a sudden, this whole show is nothing but amazing plastic fiberglass works in a million different shapes. There's these little, like, boxes, and there's these tubes and the cylinder, and then the head square, a session piece. Her new work was distinctive. It was fragile, beautiful, tentative. It was all the things sculpture was not supposed to be. And in the review for the Fischbach show, it said, This is the first one-man show of uncommon interest. Miss Hesse's work is located uneasily, but interestingly, between two poles, the realm of highly rationalized form and the realm of surrealist dream objects. The Ganses, Victor and Sally, are art collectors, and they came to the show at the Fishbuck Gallery and immediately fell in love with Eva, and they decided they had to do something they hadn't done in years, which is buy some work.
0: They're art collectors. Why haven't they done that in years?
1: I don't know. I think they just stuck to whatever work <laughs> they were collecting. Yeah. Well. So she was excited. She went to their home and told Doug about it. And oh, because they collect Picasso, that they, they only collected Picasso. So she Ooh, was I forgot super about this, excited. She's right, like, yeah. they collect Picasso, so it's gonna be me and Picasso together. Yeah. <laughs> so so she became really good friends with the Ganzus and they would attend dinners together at their place all the time. And this is what makes me happy about the future possibility of having a relationship with a really awesome collector. Someone that's invested in your work mm-hmm. and not just, and like your practice as a whole. And not just like, oh, I'm going to get this piece because it's probably going to make me money. And they were obsessed with Eva and her charm at the show. Everyone says how charming and amazing she that's is. That's why I'm never going to get anywhere. No one ever says I'm charming. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you You are so. Start-
0: sarcastic are you though we don't really know hey nobody liked cliff and he's uber famous
1: that's true. maybe i just need to swing the <laughs> far way and be like the biggest asshole fuck all y'all so eva became one of the artists in new york and pretty much the only woman in the group damn she's cool which is bananas for her work being delicate feminine and objectively beautiful
0: b-a-n-a-n-a-s
1: she's now being asked to be in so many shows that she can't even keep up to make enough Damn
0: work. dreams, goals.
1: So this part's labeled sad times. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> I knew this was coming. I was still <laughs> oh, no. pumped on good times. Nope.
1: There was like no
0: in between. She just was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing yeah. it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And then it was just like, nope. It's just like
1: in October of 1969, She was having a lot of headaches and to the point where her friends were seriously concerned because she was in so much pain with her headaches and she just couldn't function. And so psychiatric doctors kept saying it was physical and physical doctors kept saying it was psychological and no one really had answers and it was not helpful. So on April 10th, she said, I was admitted to New York hospital to be examined, tested, She was there for days and couldn't find anything. Finally, they did a spinal tap. And if they hadn't, she would have died almost immediately after. She said, my tumor was so enlarged, it had no free space to move. So it was tipping my brain over. There wasn't much time. Saw images, color flashes, very, very beautiful. Was not afraid. Mm -hmm. Wanted to touch, connect with those with me. I was very in touch with them. And they with me, I spoke. I smiled. I fantasized. I had visions. I loved. I could not speak enough. I saw faces. I saw love. Happiness.
0: That's just the way to go. Damn, she made it sound good.
1: <laughs> um. After the operation, she was fantastic. <laughs>
0: all better. <laughs> just like, as <laughs> Romy would say, all better. All better. <laughs>
1: When she got sick, a lot of people thought it was due to her materials. Her friends still grapple with that question: Was it the resin, the latex, the rubber, the fiberglass that she worked with, or just like a DNA fluke?
0: <laughs> was it any one of these toxic yeah. materials, or all, or was
1: it all of them? <laughs> probably, <sighs> or probably just all some weird DNA fluke that like had nothing no, to random. do with that. Because no. so many people work with all of these horrible chemicals, and like they're probably <laughs> fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, back in the day when nobody looked into shit very
1: often. So even went to stay with Gioia. 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 Hold on. Let me make sure this is her name and not a typo. Yep. That's her name.
0: <laughs> we'll look at the last name. Timpanelli. Sounds like it goes together.
1: Gioia.
0: Oh, this was the cutie who like never made art before, mm-hmm. but when they were together, they like made stuff.
1: After the surgery... Her friend, Julia Cimpanelli, invited her to her house in Woodstock, and she didn't have the energy to go back to her studio and really make these big sculpture works anymore, so she decided she's going to go out to this house, be with her friend, have her bag of paints, and just make these amazing paper paintings. So her and her friend, they would wake up, they would have tea, then go to work on the porch area, and they worked every day, all day and it was the okay can we do this this sounds so fun i have the porch right here just come on out i'm looking at it i'm gonna do it one of the greatest things she taught everyone is to play to play with your materials and work and she just couldn't stop playing there's a quote that eva said the lack of energy i have is contrasted by a psychic energy of rebirth a will to start to live again, work again, be seen, love. I fight sleep to respond to this real excitement that is frustrated because there is little I can do. It's crazy because if if you've just been dealt this hand of like, you have this crazy huge brain tumor, it would be really easy to not work. And I think like to retreat from that and to just... Take a moment to be with family and friends and almost drown in self-pity and fear. But Eva just got to work because working made her feel alive. So she came back to the Bowery, her studio space, and her and Doug just got right back to work. They got to work on this new cobwebby piece called Right After.
0: Again, the titles. The
1: titles, yeah. So in 1970, she started to work less. And I think she had, at this point, assistants helping her on this piece. Yeah, I remember them saying that. Untitled rope piece, she was just dipping rope in buckets of latex and with an assistant just hanging it from her ceiling. She was using her own body, her own experience, and dealing with issues of her own mortality. So it was not long after she was rushed back to New York hospital because she was in excruciating pain and she had another brain tumor. And on March 29th, they had to do another operation. Helen, dec- Helen's her sister. Helen decided, I think at this point, this was her third time going to the hospital and Helen decided no one was going to tell her that she was sick and going to die. The, the doctor said the tumor is of a kind that could return. Her friend, Timpanelli, the one she went out to Woodstock with, said she knew, though. People say she didn't, but she knew. Eva, I'm going to start crying now. <laughs>
0: that Eva knew, right? Yep. This is okay. so sad. Okay. <laughs> You're making me tear up. Stop. <laughs> Stop it. Do you don't need me to read it for you? <sighs> I knew. No fear. I did not fear death. I knew it was there. Could be. But I did not fear. In the hospital, she'd be drawing out ideas on newsprint pads.
1: Yeah, and then these are poles. So, again, her drawings are so cute. With their little, like, legs. Her friend, I know. <laughs> it looks like a person walking. Or,
0: like, a something walking.
1: Yeah, so she made this on newsprint. And I think, I don't know if it was Tim Nelly, Some friend walked in and was like, oh, they look like legs and she just started laughing. She was like, you know, obsessed then because it was back to her absurdity. Yeah. She made these leg pieces and this piece was in a show at Steuben Glass on Fifth Avenue. And at the same time, she was on the cover of Art Forum, And the work on the cover was called Contingent. It was the hanging sort of latex she, like, fiberglass piece.
0: She like barely knew, huh? like when they brought it to her yeah she
1: like pointed she's like that's me yeah oh. <laughs> baby girl so she wrote i am not unhappy not at all
0: you guys Lindsay loves eva hessa <laughs> too much <laughs> it wasn't fair that she fucking died she was 30
1: fucking four do you need me to read this one too probably i cannot get through this luckily we're like at the end not even oh god I know. so much okay yeah you have to do her death
0: i'm not unhappy i'm just gonna not think about what the words (laughs) i'm saying i am not unhappy not at all i look at the past three and a half years with a kind of amazement all that has come to pass my changes outside and inside i can be proud Eva died on May 29th, 1970. She was 34.
1: And her headstone was designed by her buddy and longtime unrequited love,
0: best friend, brother, love.
1: Solo it. Can he design
0: everyone's? Yeah. It's the best. It just has yeah. her name. And the type is all like, the like kerning is super wide. Yeah.
1: In. 1972, Guggenheim had a memorial exhibition, and it was the entire Guggenheim. She filled up the whole Guggenheim with five years of work.
0: This tells you how much she worked. She
1: was so busy and had so much creation in her. It's crazy. In 2013, 43 years later, Hesse's retrospective in Hamburg, Germany took place. Um, which is her birthplace, as we know. Eva has sculptures have been the subject of debate during attempts to understand how to preserve the pieces that have been deteriorating with the passage of time. (laughs) Well, it's your job. She told you. Uh, In some cases, her work is damaged beyond presentation. For instance, Sans 3 can no longer be exhibited to the public because the latex boxes have curled in on themselves and crumbled. Hmm. Hesse's close friend Saul Solowit argued for steps for active conservation, quoting, She wanted her work to last. She certainly didn't have the attitude that she would mutely sit by and let it disintegrate before her eyes. Solowit's response is supported by many of Hesse's other friends and colleagues. However, Hesse's dedication to material and process contradicts her intention for these works to attain permanency. When discussing this topic with collectors in mind, she wrote, At this point, I feel a little guilty when people want to buy it. I think they know, but when I write them a letter and say it's not going to last, I'm not sure what my stand on lasting really is. Part of me feels that it's superfluous, and I need to use rubber. That is more important. So at the very end, she says, Life doesn't last. Art doesn't last. It doesn't matter. That's that's my girl, Eva.
0: Mm. if you can get Lindsay to cry without me saying the word cry yeah man go watch the documentary i think that gives yeah. everyone such a good idea of how i mean <clears throat> you said the word charming so many times it's like charming doesn't even encompass what these people felt about her she was They like had like magnetic yeah yeah i think that would be more of the word that people it just seemed like people everyone was in love with her friends were in love with her women like it, it wasn't even like the type of love that had to be sexual love. It was just like in love, like totally immersed in her being when they're around. Mm -hmm. And she did that to people. And that's so special. And then she put all of that energy, literally all of it. She saved it for very few people. And then she just put it all into her work. And so and you
1: can feel it in her work. When you see it in person, it is, it stands apart from the, the others, the other pieces in the room.
0: Yeah. So go watch the documentary. Go find her work somewhere. Go find everything. Yeah. Go look at everything. If you can see it in person, go see it. And
1: join the club of everyone who's in love with her.
0: (laughs) And join the club. And then just start crying. And honestly, you know what would make her proud? Let's just all throw a glass down on the ground, break it in her honor. (laughs) 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 Rate, review, subscribe. Romy's going to say bye. We don't even need to say it.
1: Bye-bye.